Welcome to the Resources for Integrated Care webinar, Strategies for Non-Opioid Pain Management, a panel discussion. This podcast is excerpt from a webinar presented live on November 10th, 2020. In this podcast, Por Visoni, a consultant at the Lewin Group, facilitates a panel discussion with Beth Darnell, Associate Professor at Stanford University School of Medicine, Department of Anesthesiology, Eve Gelb, the Senior Vice President of Member and Community Health at SCAN Health Plan, and lastly, Donna Lynn Foster, Peer Advocate at SCAN Health Plan. This panel discusses non-opioid pain management strategies for duly eligible individuals, including person-centered pain management options, challenges health plans and clinicians face, and strategies for addressing pain needs during the COVID-19 pandemic. With that, I'd like to turn to our panel discussion. And our first question. The first question is to all of our speakers. What are the most common challenges in pain management among older adults? Donna Lynn, I'll begin with you. Thank you. Um, I believe just acknowledging it. Uh, People may downplay or dismiss their pain, so it's important to help them understand that their pain is really important and um, to help them to acknowledge and feel safe in how they're feeling. Uh, We may try, but we really can't ignore pain, and dealing with it is a shared issue among families and medical professionals. Um, Having access to pain management options beyond the medications and therapies with which members may be most familiar. Um, at our age, the Medicare age, many people have had years of dealing with pain solely by using pain medications. Some may not have had, had an opportunity to try different medications or different treatments due to the inability to access them or even afford different types of care. Um, I believe that to address these challenges, um, We need to um, present information about those other plan options in a way that is easy to read and understand, in language that is readily accessible to to customize it to the audience. Um, We need to let people know what's available and how to access it, things like durable medical equipment for mobility aids, uh, electric beds to help them get in and out of bed easier. Um, to access the um, alternative treatments, as Eve mentioned, like acupuncture um, and chiropractic um, and the different mental health resources. Um, We also have a a gym program. SCAN offers these members. And currently, we're running one on living well with chronic pain. And I just got an email from a coworker, very excited, that members are signing up for it. So we we get excited that people are taking action to help themselves and also educate and assure individuals that the range of treatments can be safe and effective. Again, it's being fully informed so they can make those good decisions. Um, Thank you. Um, Thank you. That's it. Thank you so much, Donna Lynn. Eve, same question to you. Yeah, so the the challenges are diverse, you know, diverse, and it depends on the individual, of course. But more and more, as we talk to our members, they are not interested in medications. They are very concerned 
that about the impact that medications have on their liver function, their kidney function, and their overall health, as well as the expense of the medications. Uh, but it's it's hard because clinicians haven't necessarily been taught the biopsychosocial model that Dr. Darnell pointed out, um, and. So, you know, they want to do something to help, and they know that medications often work, and so it's often the first um, tool in the toolbox. But as Dr. Donnell pointed out, there are many other tools in the toolbox um, that could be used if our providers uh, could have the, the training and the support that they need. Um, we also need to help our members um, have the conversation with their providers because they go to the doctor, the doctor prescribes the medicine, they don't want the medicine, uh, but they don't, they don't have the words to have the conversation with the provider and sometimes the provider is not receptive to the conversation. So um, in our human-centered design project, we did some ethnographic interviews and I remember very clearly um, this you know, 85-year-old woman who is probably under five feet tall, and she doesn't want to contradict her doctor. So she goes to the doctor. She talks to the doctor about her pain. The doctor writes her a prescription. She doesn't want to offend the doctor, but as she walks out of the office, she throws the prescription um, into the trash because she's not going to engage. That's not what she wanted, um, but she didn't want to offend the doctor. So I think, you know, we need to help her um, communicate, but we also need to help our providers. Um, folks have told us that what really matters to them is nutrition and faith. Um, and in a health system, faith is not always part of what we talk about, but it's super important. Spiritual practice, our members are telling us, whether it be in the form of prayer or meditation, or just the support one gains from being part of a supportive community is often mentioned as being extremely helpful. It gives them something positive to focus on, a distraction that they really enjoy. And our members have told us that nutrition is also something really important, but we have challenges in not having enough nutritionists uh, to support folks. Um, and duly eligible individuals in particular face challenges related to pain management because a lot of the options are not necessarily covered by your health insurance or Medicare, and they don't have the resources to pay for it out of pocket. Um, and, you know, with COVID happening right now, telehealth, which I think is great in many areas, is not always uh, the best um, to address pain and the technology is difficult for older adults in general and in particular for our duly eligible population who generally have less access to services. It might be difficult because of sensory issues, vision and hearing issues or cognitive impairments. There are language barriers. Some organizations have really figured out how to get translation services and other things through telehealth. Others haven't. So it's, I think, you know, both our beneficiaries and our providers are struggling now more than ever to address something so personal as pain. Thank you, Eve. And Dr. Darnell, what challenges do you see? Yeah, well, there's so many barriers um, to access and pain management. So this can, 
you know, come from the perspective of having the right benefits to access and pay for care. Older adults can have mobility, financial challenges, and, and also comorbidities that can prevent people from accessing effective resources. Um, Eve noted that older, duly eligible individuals are more likely to experience these challenges. Um, and they may have transportation gaps to receive in-person services, um, and this can be for a variety of reasons. With COVID-19, we have an additional layer of challenge, but also an opportunity. So we've seen really broadly across the United States much more of a focus on treating people remotely. And this can provide, I mean, there are some challenges, and Eve was just mentioning some of the challenges. There's also opportunities here to rapidly connect individuals with behavioral health care. So, for instance, online chronic pain support groups, online um, chronic pain self-management program. Um, we are conducting online cognitive behavioral therapy classes and online single session classes, and we're seeing higher engagement rates in these online delivered treatments than we've ever seen before. So that's in part due to some people being socially isolated, there being a greater need for care, um, but also it can be incredibly convenient for people who no longer have to manage the transportation issues. And we can treat people across multiple states sometimes within um, one online class. So there, there is an opportunity there. Um, virtual reality for chronic pain, these are have now become home-based options. And clinicians are leveraging technology in, to treat older adults in their home environment. So we're able to meet people where they are in this regard. Sometimes people need a higher level of support to onboard or get going with the treatment. Um, and others are, are just, you know, really ready to go. Um, so I think it's critical for us to ensure that telehealth services and online options are available to duly eligible individuals um, and be able to provide them with the support they need so that they can access this care at home going forward and in particular during COVID. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Darnell. The next question is actually directed to you specifically. Um, in order to provide person-centered pain management, what key considerations should clinicians and healthcare organizations keep in mind? This is a great question. Um, so, you know, I started out by, by talking about how pain is a biopsychosocial phenomenon and we need to address it in a, a, a comprehensive fashion. In order to do that, we need to conduct a whole person assessments that really consider the biopsychosocial, full, multidimensional perspective of pain. Um, so it's through this assessment where an individual has the opportunity to report how they're thinking and feeling within the context of pain, how pain impacts their lives, how they're responding to pain, and this assessment screens, can screen for social and environmental factors that can also influence their pain experience. So ultimately, the 
goal of uh, a whole person pain assessment is to reveal the therapeutic opportunities and to truly deliver person-centered pain care um, so that the clinician then has the information that they need to provide each person with practical resources, tools, techniques for pain management. So some people could benefit from individual or group-based treatment with an actual pain psychologist, or they might be appropriate for autonomous self-paced learning online or through a book or a workbook. So there shouldn't just be one approach. Ideally, clinicians can offer two or three different approaches based on what's right for the person and, most importantly, based on their interests and their desire to engage with the information. So some clinicians may be pressed for time and not able to conduct an in-depth multi-dimensional assessment for each person. Um, so organizations can ensure that these assessments and resources fit within clinicians' busy schedules, integrate it into the workflow, and automate it whenever possible so that clinicians are unburdened um, to every extent possible. And this can help clinicians have the information they need at their fingertips, readily assess the results of the intake, and use the time with the individual to discuss the best op treatment options that are available and provide them with rapid access to, that addresses their needs and their wants. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Darnell. Eve, the next question is for you. How do you incorporate members' diverse perspectives in providing person-centered pain management? Uh, so I think the simplest thing is to ask and to listen. Um, you know, we embrace the nothing about me without me philosophy uh, as much as we can at SCAN, uh, which is why we employ our members to be peer advocates, but we also need to do outreach, whether it be through focus groups or ethnographic interviews. Um, surveys don't tell us everything. Uh, Quality metrics don't tell us everything. You have to actually ask people about their lived experience and what interventions would would they use. And then when you do the intervention, you have to follow up and see individually at the individual level did it work. So um, really focusing on asking folks. Uh, we do focus groups. Um, and in fact, one of our focus groups we did in both Spanish and English with folks in the same room which was really powerful because regardless of the language barrier, folks understood that they had a common um, a shared issue with pain. So it's really, um, I think, asking and listening and not necessarily uh, asking and listening to the middle, the folks who we usually hear from who answer the questions we want them to answer in the way we want them to answer, but to, I always talk about, getting the input of the people on the edges, right? Listening to the people who may not be, who might be reluctant to share, figuring out ways that you can really um, understand their needs and um, be active in getting their input. Um, you know, that I think is the most important thing that we've been able to do and it's really helped us shape some of our interventions to be ones that are meaningful and driven by the needs of the people we're serving. Thank you so much, Eve. The next question is for all speakers. 
what are some actionable strategies that you recommend providers and health plans use to incorporate non-opioid pain medications and treatment when appropriate? Eve, I'll start with you. Thanks. As Dr. Darnell said, that, that whole person assessment is super important and understanding how pain impacts people's daily lives, how it impacts the way they interact with the world, because um, managing pain is not only is not the only important outcome. It, it helps people achieve their life outcomes. Um, so it's important to understand that. And it also is important to understand that they live with the other comorbidities that, that Dr. Darnell talked about. Um, offering low-cost options, simple options, to Donna Lynn's point, in language that folks can understand, low-risk non-clinical solutions first is what really um, our members are interested in, like walking, physical therapy, nutrition, cognitive behavioral therapy, social interactions. You know, folks are open to the providers saying, well, let's try walking first, or, let, or do you belong to a religious community? Let's try that first, see how it impacts your pain. Um, and in addition, just basically, I think having electronic health records, as Dr. Darnell talked about, include non-clinical protocols for pain um, would be really helpful. Thank you, Eve. Donna Lynn, I'll turn it to you. Um, thank you. I, I think moving well is essential to pain management and, and general good health. Health. We have countless members who, who report um, wonderful outcomes just because they've gotten off their bottoms and started moving around. You know, they, they feel better in, in many different ways. I would recommend showing people, in addition to telling them, how to be active and move safely in their own environments. Um, help them to customize their homes and yards as safe places for physical activity and movement. Uh, there might be fall hazards around the home and yard, such as rugs or e uneven outdoor terrain. Um, and I encourage mu uh, members to, to play their favorite music and, and just keep a beat with whatever body part they can. Movement is what is not only good for our bones and muscles, but it's good for our spirits as well. I also would teach people what is available in the community and, and um, indoors and outdoors for physical activity. You know, senior and community centers, parks, walking paths. Um, and I counsel people on diet and supplements, um, including the anti-inflammatory diets. And I encourage uh, referrals to dietitians. Many people are asking about these kinds of supplements like turmeric. Um, I advise them to run it by their doctor and do their research. Uh, but never take things without clearing it first with your, your medical professionals. Um, and be attentive to people's emotional well-being, which we learn how to mask pretty well. Um, chronic pain can cause or exacerbate depression, um, which can also be treated with multiple options. People grieve the loss of normal function and independence. It can make you real gloomy, you know, when, when you can't be the person you think you are or you want to be. Um, and many people feel shame if they have pain. It means they're, they're, they're less than, and, and then there's a loss of independence. And, and pain medication also our affects our, our uh, emotional well-being um, and, and mental function. And very importantly, not wanting to be a burden. 
many people isolate and they limit um, social activities um, and social contact when they're in pain. Um, I would encourage people in self-comfort and nurture. Our members are really receptive to this. Yeah, you're hurting. Your body's shouting at you. What can you do? Um, so we have um, it's professional or self-massage. Um, some scan plans offer a massage. Um, I encourage them to take time for self-care, for personal hygiene and grooming, especially for caregivers with pain, um, and seek positive distractions. Comprehensive distractions, you know, healthy options for favorite foods, hobbies, social activities, um, and recreational activities. Um, finally, and I think hugely important, is to help people have successes with self-advocacy and teach them how to be well-informed and feel empowered to make decisions for themselves related to pain management. I really believe that this is a core to the biopsychosocial model. As, as people feeling in control. Um, the benefits of self-advocacy uh, help people that just feel good about yourself when you've accomplished something and have had these successes. I would also refer people to additional treatments such as the physical therapy and acupuncture and chiropractic if they're able to access them. Uh, for example, I have used physical therapy referrals to have my, uh, my posture and my gait and my stretching techniques evaluated to make sure I was moving properly. I've also had a, a referral to a podiatrist to um, uh, uh, analyze my feet and recommend orthotics and um, some good shoes to make it easy to walk, to make it comfortable to move my body. Um, so yeah, there are lots of things that people can do to help them feel like they're in control. Um, and, and, and then be more receptive to treating the cause of the pain um, if they have some perspective that um, they're a lot more than their pain. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Donna Lynn. And Dr. Donnell, I'll turn the same question to you. Yeah, thank you. So we can look at how to best manage pain but it really depends on the individual person and their wants and their needs. So providers can have tailored conversations with individuals, develop care plans, and coordinate with that person. If our care plans are tailored to the people we're working with, and if we're factoring in their needs and their wants, then they're going to be much more likely to engage. So bringing in that level of specificity and collaboration is really important. Um, providers and health plans can focus on integrated approaches, such as chronic disease self-management programs, group-based treatments, patient education for skills-based pain management strategies. Individuals may be willing to engage in a range of treatments. Um, at Stanford University, we offer a single session, very brief, skills-based intervention 
um, for pain management, and it rapidly equips individuals with pain management skills. So this can be ideal for people who may be disinterested in intensive or longer course treatments, but might be interested in just you know attending a single session class. Um, this intervention is called Empowered Relief and has demonstrated positive early results for pain management. Healthcare organizations should recognize that one treatment modality will never meet the needs of everyone. So what we really need is a portfolio of options um, so that we can attend to patients' uh, individual preferences, conditions. Um, some people may want that higher level of care. They may want multi-session support, while others may find it impractical. And so meeting people where they are is really critical. Um, and so offering that range of treatment also provides people with a critical level of choice. And as Donna Lynn was just mentioning, helping people feel and be in control is so critical. And giving them those choices is just such a nice and easy way to do that. Um, lastly, it's important to include friends, caregivers, and family so that the whole system becomes educated on how to best help the person um, living with pain manage um, their conditions to the extent to which that they can be folded into education, treatment classes, and even treatment plans can be highly advantageous. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Donnell. And our final question is, what recommendations do you have to address the additional challenges that have emerged for pain management during the COVID-19 pandemic for both people with pain and providers? This is directed to all speakers, and um, Eve, I'll begin with you. Uh, thanks, Porvi. So one of the concerns we have is that a lot of the pain treatment delivered by providers is dependent on in-person care. Uh, for example, we've noticed that our physical therapy visits have dropped off significantly since the pandemic began. Um, interestingly, opioid prescriptions have not. They've stayed pretty uh, level. Um, so we really think that there are some options for people, and Dr. Darnell mentioned them, where physical therapy could be done remotely uh, with guidance and coaching. Uh, many of our members uh, go online. They find exercises on YouTube to help them with their knee problems, et cetera. I think the struggle is that they um, – you know, it's not necessarily a doctor-recommended uh, activity, so somehow they've got to balance communicating with their doctors and showing them this and, and figuring out if it's all right for them, uh, which is super important. Um, and another thing is that, you know, folks who need more invasive uh, protocols, those right now are often deprioritized because of covid so being able to get the surgery that you needed or get the procedure done you needed um, is really um, impacted now. So one of the things I would recommend is for the health plans who, you know, the folks who are working for health plans uh, that are listening, is look at your data and figure out who are the people who were needing pain management and what has happened to those um, to their treatments since COVID and how can you intervene in order to ensure that they get the care that they need. It's not, you know, the first priority for an in-person visit um, when we're in the situation that we're in. And then the other thing is paying attention to the mental health strain uh, because, of course, 
pain in itself creates a mental health strain and depression and other things that um, folks have mentioned on the call already. Um, but then coupled with the social isolation, the stress that we've all gone through with an election, with um, COVID, not knowing about whether the vaccine is coming and whether it's going to work, people are just in a lot, you know, experiencing a lot of emotional distress. So being able to address that, uh, whether it's through cognitive behavioral therapy or support groups or other things that can be done virtually, I think is super important. Thank you, Eve. Donna Lynn, I'll turn to you. Yeah, thank you. Um, I think people who typically receive in-person pain care, either at home or through outside support services, find they're having to care for themselves at home, which can add to the burden of pain. This is another reason why self-advocacy is important. Um, I'm impressed with the number of members I have talked with who have really rallied during COVID. They've rallied with creativity and um, perseverance, resilience, and they're really doing well. And it has to do with the attitude going into it uh, because they know they can. They know they aren't necessarily, are, yeah, we're all stuck in this, but um, people need the encouragement that uh, they can do well, that they can function. Um, and as back in a strategy would be the same one, to help people adapt and use their personal spaces as safe and peaceful environments for physical activity and emotional well-being. Um, you know, it, it might include improving the general safety and fall prevention and creating those specific spaces inside their home um, for exercise and hobbies, self-care, and any spiritual practices they may value. Um, to create a sense of control, to create a peaceful, uh, workable environment um, that's a sanctuary, that's a safe place to be. Um, thank you. Thank you, Donna Lynn. And Dr. Donna, a same question to you. Dr. Donnell, maybe on you. Oh, thank you. Sorry. Um, COVID-19 has shattered some stereotypes in healthcare. So historically, uh, it's believed that people were disinterested in receiving healthcare online. Um, but there's been incredibly high engagement rates, and the convenience factor um, has been enjoyed definitely by a segment of people. Um, so recognizing that piece, that there's a good receptivity for certain individuals. Um, there's a, another perception that older individuals are less technologically inclined. There are subgroups of individuals, and some of our research has suggested that there really aren't age-related differences per se. We need to do a dive into the individual, understand their comfort with technology, and also assess whether they have um, internet access and the resources needed to engage with those resources. Um, last thing I'll say is that it is, I mentioned previously, it's important to integrate family members and caregivers as much as possible, and this can be particularly true during COVID when we're considering pain care of the, inter of the individual. 
it's a nice opportunity to treat the whole support system, recognizing that pain does not impact just the individual, but it's really the broader system, including the family and social support. Also recognizing that family members are also under stress and that the tools that we provide the individual patient, extending that to the family, um, can help the whole system cope better. Um, and thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much to all of our speakers for sharing your valuable insights. Thank you for listening. This podcast is presented by the Lewin Group and is supported through the Medicare and Medicaid Coordination Office at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. MMCO is dedicated to helping beneficiaries enrolled in Medicare and Medicaid have access to seamless, high-quality health care that includes a full range of covered services in both programs. To support providers in their efforts to deliver more integrated and coordinated care, MMCO is developing technical assistance and actionable tools based on successful innovations and care models. To learn more about the current efforts and resources, please visit our website or follow us on Twitter for more details. Our Twitter handle is at integrate underscore care.